0: And um, basically, it it stems from a question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And really, the question that we're asking ourselves today is, who do you personally say Jesus is? And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus, um, he said to his disciples, but who do yourselves say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And um, one of the, the questions that rises for me in the midst of sort of exploring this topic is Is Jesus worth it for us to press in for a deeper revelation of who he really is? Many who are a part of our house, you've been um, believers for many, many years. And you could feel like, I know pretty much, I've read the Bible, I've heard messages about pretty much everything in the Bible, um, I've heard uh, you know people talk, I've read books, all this kinds of stuff, and yet the reality is there more to who Jesus really is? And is it worth it for us to press in for that? And the second question is, what quality of life is good enough for you? Because Jesus said that he came to give life and life abundance. And so the measure of life that you currently have, if you're not satisfied with that, the probably the reality is you need more of Jesus. You need a, a fresh revelation of some aspect of who he is. And the good news about Jesus is he's available and willing. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to empower us to set us free, right? He came to set captives free, to set us free that we would um, ultimately, we would, grab onto or receive the fullness of the love and the life that he poured out for us. Um, How we answer these kinds of questions determines the measure of abundant life that you live with, right? And the measure of the revelation of Jesus that you can share with those in your sphere of influence because you can only give away what you have. And so you can only share with integrity the Jesus that you actually know. And so if, if you want to be able to release a greater measure of who Jesus really is at your workplace or in your neighborhood or in the marketplace or even with other believers, right, then we need to host more of who Jesus really is. We receive it, then we can release it into those atmospheres. That's what God is pressing for in our house this year. And so the strategy that he gave us was to go through the gospel of John. And really look at the the scriptures through the lens of John. So the Gospel of John, and then we're going to look at the letters of John. And um, we've started um, the past two weeks. We looked at John chapter one, and out of John chapter one, we've identified twenty revelation statements about who Jesus is, just in the first chapter. And what we're going to do is we're going to compile a list of these revelation statements that we can go back to and we can look at, and really what. What we feel like the Holy Spirit's highlighting is he's saying, okay, consider all of these things. So, so far we have 20. Consider them. Is there anything on that list that you don't know Jesus to be that? You haven't really pressed into that revelation of who Jesus is in that. And the invitation then is to, to grab hold of it. Say, I want to know you more. I've never really considered that before. I want to press in this year. Holy Spirit, will you guide me and lead me that I could fully understand more of who Jesus is? And in the process, what I feel like the Lord is saying is that as we do that, we're going to have two things happen. One is you're going to get a greater measure of abundant life because you're accessing more of Jesus. And the second is you're going to be able to influence your spheres of influence in a greater, more powerful way because you're going to have more of Jesus to release to the people in your lives. Does that make sense? So today we're going to continue and we're going to be in John chapter two. We're going to cover all of John chapter two. It's a smaller section. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to verse one of John two. And it says this on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So there's a wedding feast, right, in Cana. And Jesus and his disciples are there. Jesus' mother is there, uh, Mary. And there's a problem. They ran out of wine. That's embarrassing, right? For the bride, the groom, right? The, The wedding party. That's not something that you want to have happen at this festive occasion. And Mary, so I don't know. We don't know the relationship between Mary and the wedding party. But Mary finds out about it. And she wants to do something about it. And she turns to Jesus. And so she calls Jesus and says, you need to solve this problem. And Jesus says, it's not my time. Why are you asking me this? Um, but Mary just says to the servants, just do whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. Like Mary knows that her son is going to obey. Right? There's something about it. There's something about the culture that they have. We don't have a lot of the backstory. John doesn't give us it in John chapter 1. We don't know anything about Jesus' growing up. Right? We have to glean that from the other Gospels. But in John, all we see, our first picture of his relationship with his mom, is that his mom cares about something, and she goes to her son and says, Solve it. And she expects him to do it. Um. the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what does Jesus do? There's, there's six 20 to 30 gallons uh, Gallon stone water jars for purification. And Jesus tells the servants, fill them up with water all the way. So you got 120 to 180 gallons of water filling these, these containers. Then he tells them to take some of the liquid and to give it to the master of the feast. Take some of the liquid out. And go present it to the master of the feast. The master of the feast is sort of like the person overseeing the wedding, right? They're not, they're they're connected somehow, but they're probably the ones who are in charge of the catering and that kind of thing. Um, The servants do as Jesus says. They don't know that the water has been turned into wine. As far as we know. But somewhere in the process, the water does become wine because when the master of the feast tastes the liquid... It's wine. And it's not just any wine, it's actually excellent wine. It's the best wine that he's tasted, and in the sense that he's like, goes to the bridegroom and he says, "What are you doing?" You're not following any of the normal cultural procedures. Most wedding parties, they serve the best wine first, and then when everybody's feeling a little bit under the influence of wine, then they serve the, the lesser wine. But you've saved the best for last. Um, the master of the, the, uh, the wedding feast, he has no idea where this wine came from. It doesn't seem like the, the bridal party knows anything about where this wine came from either. The only people who know is Mary, Jesus, the servants, and Jesus' disciples. Um. John describes this miracle as the first of Jesus' signs done in Cana in Galilee. Well, what's the fruit of this miracle? Like, isn't it interesting that you, you're going through the gospel of John, and the very first miracle that we see is turning water into wine? It's curious to me. What, what's the fruit? In, in the natural... You have wine, (laughs) right? In the natural, you had water, and now you have wine. In the natural, you have a wedding party that has saved face because they had run out of wine. So they don't have to be embarrassed. They don't have to walk with shame that the process of Mary and Jesus partnering together, right, creating this miracle, the wedding party is saved. John says that he declares that this miracle manifested Jesus' glory. So one of the fruits is that Jesus' glory is manifest throughout this, through this miracle. And that one of the fruits is that Jesus' disciples believed in him. So you can say that Jesus' disciples saw this whole thing happen. And it caused them to attach belief in him at a deeper level. Have you ever really taken time to look at this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine? To really study it deeply? To really go into it more about what are the realities of this miracle? That's one of the things that we're going to look at today. Um, Verse 12, the scripture goes on and it says, After this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus goes up to the temple in Jerusalem, and what does he find? He finds within the temple that there is vendors who have the sacrificed or sacrificial animals, right? So there's oxen, sheep, pigeons. There's money changers who are exchanging currency for anybody who's coming from a different location. And Jesus makes a whip, And he drives the vendors, the money changers, and the animals out of the temple. He turns over the tables, he pours out all the coins, and he tells them to take all these things away and to not make his father's house a house of trade. Jesus' disciples, they reflect on it and they call it consuming zeal, right? I don't think we can fathom what Jesus was, um, what it would be like to experience this level of of passion coming from Jesus in the temple that day. Why was he so mad? Why was Jesus so mad? Didn't they need sacrificial animals for their Jewish rituals? It was required, right? You had to have animals to sacrifice in order to atone for your sin. That was the process. But the temple was intended to be a place of worship. The vendors and the money changers should have been positioned outside of the temple in the temple court, right? Outside the temple court, sorry. But they were inside the temple. Why did they move inside the temple? My only guess is it was convenient. Somebody may have a better idea, right? But the reality is it seemed like it's convenient. But the reality for Jesus, it was dishonoring to God. Because the established purpose of the temple was to be a place of worship and not a place of of exchange, right? You needed the animals for sacrifice, but that was not the appropriate place to have them. Verse 18, it says, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Um, But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So the Jews see what Jesus is doing, and they become irate. They're like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Who are you? that you would dare do such a thing in the temple? What gives you the right and the authority to do so? Um, What sign will you give us to show that you have the authority to do what you just did? And Jesus says, well, I'm going to destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. They're like, you're crazy. It took 46 years to build this temple. And you say you're going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about his body. I think it's interesting that the disciples had no clue what Jesus was talking about. Right? They're just along for the ride. First they see him change water into wine. Now he goes into the temple, which is supposed to be this place of holy worship. He creates a whip and starts kicking people out with this passionate zeal. And then he says he's going to destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. And they're like, who is this guy we're following? When Jesus dies and is raised from the dead, then they remember that he said this. Does it make sense? They walked with him. They were following him. But they didn't really understand everything that Jesus was saying or doing. I think it's the same for us. No matter how long you've walked with Jesus, there's probably aspects of who he is that you don't really realize what he's saying or what he's doing. And later, at a different time in life, you realize, ah, that's what he meant way back there. That's been my experience. Um, Yeah. Verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So many believed in Jesus when they saw the signs that Jesus was doing. I think it's curious that in this account with John, he doesn't tell us what those signs were, (laughs) right? So we have no idea what else was Jesus doing, right? But John shares a key with us about Jesus. In verses 24 and 25, he says, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus never looked to man for his approval. Did you get that? The father, he only looked to the father for his approval. This is a key. It's a key for us as followers of Jesus. The father bore witness to who Jesus was and is. Right? The father's the one who declares over him, this is my beloved son. Jesus didn't seek to be popular, and he didn't seek to be significant. It wasn't his goal. Um, It says, people can love you and celebrate you one day, and the next day they're ready to destroy you. Like, think about Jesus coming in, into into Jerusalem where they're uh, on Palm Sunday, right? Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, and just a week later, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What's in the heart of man? Right? And so John's making an interesting statement about Jesus, is he, he never looked to man for approval. He only looked to his Father. What does my Father say? Let that set the course of my walk. Let that determine everything that I say and I do. Not whether or not it's popular in the eyes of man. Um Jesus performed signs and wonders to glorify God and to reveal the Father's heart, not to impress man or to gain approval from man. And so it raises a question for you and me, right, is where do you seek approval from? You, personally, where do you get approval from? Where do you try to seek to get approval from? From God or from your fellow men, women, right? That's a, that's, a, um, that's a rubber, where the rubber meets the road question, right? Because how you answer that question determines how you live your life, right? Jesus was pre-approved, right? We said this last week, and I just said it again, that at his baptism, the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and he did it before Jesus did any ministry. There was nothing that the father could say, you did a great job with that. No, you, he basically said, you are beloved, period. It's not based on what you do or you don't do. And as sons and daughters of God, we live to glorify God in all that we say and we do. Right? It's for him, not so that we can look good in the eyes of others. The reality is mankind hasn't changed since the Passion Week, right? So you just look at the football um, coaching. <laughs> right, you can go from popular to outcast in a, in a minute. If you, if you know anything about the NFL right now, there are so many coaches right now that have just are, are on the blocks, right? Um, the reality is it's like the wind blowing. You experience it shifting, right? And yet it's changing, and you can see its effects, but you can't see it happening. Jesus laying down his life on the cross for you personally is the final say. That's the final stamp. If you, just, if you stop to think about what Jesus did by laying his life down for you, you'll know that you're beloved. That you don't need the approval of man to accomplish something inside of you. The validation of heaven is on you because Jesus said yes for you, for me. It's done. It's finished. Um, You are extremely valuable and significant in the eyes and the heart of God. And nothing will ever change that. It's not based on your behavior. He validates you. He validates me. And so if you find that you um, tend to or you struggle with seeking approval from other people... And that determines how you sort of navigate through life. I feel like the Holy Spirit saying today that there's an invitation to lay that at his feet. Or to allow him at least to speak to you about that. Because I believe that he wants to show you there's a better way of navigating life. By seeking the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, for your approval. Right? Um... All right, who is the Jesus revealed in John 2, right? So we're going, to get these, we're going to capture these statements. The, the first one that I pulled up is Jesus honors his mother. So we see that at the wedding. For me, it, I've never looked at that. I've been a believer for probably 35 years now. I've never taken time to think of what does it mean that Jesus honored his mother? Right? We know there's, in the Ten Commandments, it says to honor your father and mother. Have you ever spent time thinking about how Jesus did that? What did it look like for him to say yes to his mom to accomplish something before it was time in the eyes of God? Do you get it? This is not just a, a, a trivial request. Mary asked Jesus to do something that he wasn't supposed to do. And Jesus does it. And ultimately, Heavenly Father partners with it. Right? Because Jesus is operating through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that water turned into wine is because the Holy Spirit touched it. Right? And so God put his thumbprint on it and said, okay. I think it's curious to me. The significance that Jesus honored his mother. Anyway, there's an invitation to go deeper into that. Jesus turns water into wine. We talked about it. For me, as I was thinking about how is that relevant for me today? Here's some miracle provision, right? Does anybody have any situation where it looks like you might have lack in your life? You need some miracle provision, right? So what does Jesus do in this situation? He takes what they had They had these jars, and they had water. He fills them to the brim with water. And he makes what they needed, which was wine. Do you think God could take what you have, something in your very possession, and make what you need? It's a question for me. There's other examples in Scripture, right? Um, He doesn't just make what's good enough. He makes the best, right? Right? above and beyond what they could ever imagine. When the master of the feast drinks this wine, he's like, what's going on here? This is not protocol. Um, and uh, it's better than they could imagine, and it's more than enough. Do you think they needed 120 or 180 gallons of wine? I mean, that's some party right there, right? But the reality is, that's what Jesus did. So he he. He created out of water this wine. He created what they had. They ran out of wine. All they had was water. And again, it just it strikes me. It's like as I've been looking at that and I'm looking at different situations in my life where I've been praying, God, will you address this situation? This makes me step back and say, hmm, maybe I actually have what I need. I can entrust it to the Lord, and he can touch that and bless that and create what I need for this miracle. It's interesting. Makes me want to press into it more. Um, Jesus hosts consuming zeal for his father's house. It seems like Jesus would have been viewed like a madman, with a whip thrashing people. Did he actually hit anybody? Did somebody get hurt in the process? Right? He's flipping over tables. He's spilling money everywhere. Animals are being kicked out. We, the, the Jesus, the peaceful Jesus, right? <laughs> Do you look at this side of Jesus? Is Jesus justifying losing your temper? No. What's the difference between losing your temper and um, displaying um, consuming zeal? Right? So I've wrestled with my temper in times, right? My kids can attest to that, right? That's, I'm not proud of that. But the reality is that I wouldn't say that it's consuming zeal. Could I make a case? I'm just really passionate about how we're supposed to do things in our house, right? And yet for Jesus, it's his father's house. It's a place of worship. And the ones who should have known that it was a place of worship didn't honor it. And they allowed it to become a marketplace or a place of trade. And when Jesus sees that, something kicks off inside of him that he says, this isn't okay. And he addresses it. Right? It's something to consider. Jesus pushed through ridicule and persecution to honor the Father. Right, The Jews were like, what are you doing? They could have stoned him for what he did. They could have destroyed him for what he did. They obviously could ridicule him for what he says and does. Jesus is the one who destroys the temple and raises it up in three days. Jesus is the one who knows the heart of man. Hold that for a second and then just put yourself in that. Jesus is the one who knows my heart. He knows your heart better than you do. He knows everything about it better than you do. Jesus only looks for approval from the Father, not from mankind. And Jesus performs signs and wonders to glorify God to reveal the Father's heart. So that's eight. Eight new revelations that we can take out of John chapter 2. right? And it brings us back to the question that we started with, is who do you say Jesus is? Um, do you know about these truths or just about these truths? Or do you know Jesus as these truths? That's really the question we're going to be asking. You're going to get tired of these questions by the time we're done with this series, right? But that really is. Do you know Jesus as these truths? Are there aspects regarding these truths about Jesus that you want to press in to know more? That's what I'm encouraging you guys to do, and myself as well. Can you share the Jesus revealed in John chapter 2 with integrity to those in your spheres of influence? Right? Where you can say, I know that I know that I know Jesus, the one who has consuming zeal. Jesus, the one who honored his mother. I know that Jesus. Right? Today I would say, I don't know that Jesus. I don't. Because I've never really entertained that Jesus, that aspect of him. Does that make sense? Right? I'm a pastor of a church, and I've never taken time to really think about what does it mean for Jesus to honor his mother. That's okay. It just shows there's more of Jesus. right? Um, if, you, if you can't share this Jesus with integrity to those in your spirits of influence, why not? Right? Is there a block? Or maybe it's something you've just never considered. Right. But if there is a block or something that's hindering you, are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come alongside of you, partner with you, to take you into a greater revelation of the truth of who Jesus really is? And that's a question that only you can answer. And I think that if you, if you took time to, to cover each of these eight principles that we pulled out and spent time with the Holy Spirit and just did a check and say, where am I at with that one? What's been my experience with this? What do I really know? I've read it. Most of us in the room probably have read John chapter 2 before. And there may be aspects of it that you, you enjoy, and there's aspects that maybe you avoid, right? And so I think the reality as we go through, continue to go through the Gospel of John, there will be passages that you're like, I really, really know that because it struck something in me. Like so when we get to John 15 and we do the Abide in Him passage, right, with the vine and the branches. When I was a baby believer, that passage, it gripped my heart. It'll never be the same because of that passage, right? There's other passages in John that I just, I read it every year. I read the Bible every year, but I just gloss over them. I don't really dive into them. And I think, again, I'm just, I'm being transparent for, to make a point. The reality is I think most of us as believers, we've read the scriptures, And there's passages that we love. And there's other passages that we just, we tolerate. (laughs) We let them be there. And I think God's saying, will you actually go deeper? Will you mine it this year? Let's mine the gospel of John. Let's mine the letters of John to take deeper, to see what treasure can we actually pull out that will transform our lives and transform the spheres of influence that we have. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. And we um we celebrate what you're doing and how you're moving. And we just I pray that you would take the, the words that were shared and you would use them to accomplish um all that you desire. I, I pray that there would be aspects of this passage that um you know the people that are here in the room, you know who will listen on the podcast. I pray that there the specific revelations that we pulled out of John 2. Um, Jesus, that you would um, yeah, you would just highlight different ones for individuals and that it would be something that they could take and that they would be able to go deep with, you would open up new eyes to see in the spirit more of who you really are and what you're doing, more of who they are, how they were created, and what you desire to accomplish through their lives. and Father, we just pray that you would um, would give us your grace. Right to accomplish what we can never accomplish on our own. I pray that you would give us a, a greater sense of peace as we host your word, as we host you. And I pray that our relationship with you would grow as we continue to dialogue with you about these scriptures, these revelations, that we can say, Lord, teach me more, show me more, just like the disciples did when they walked with you on earth. They kept asking you, tell me more, tell me what that really means, that parable. I need to understand that more. Would you share more with me? It's the same for us today. Would we not be in a place that we feel like we know everything, but that we would actually be in a place of surrender in that you would invite us into deeper realms so we could access the treasure that you do have for us. Lord, I pray that you would um, lead each person who hears the sound of my voice into a greater measure of abundant life. That their lives would be transformed in 2024 in new and powerful ways. And it would be for your glory. Yeah. Hmm. That we would represent you well in this city and county, in this nation, and to the nations. As we host more of your presence. And we just ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.